0: Thank you for listening to the Divine Nobodies Podcast with Eric
1: Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. If you enjoy this episode, please like and subscribe so you never miss a show. If you're on Instagram, please follow us at Divine Nobodies Podcast and join our ever-growing community of lightworkers and spiritual visionaries. Together, we can raise the frequency of our planet and bring in a new era of awakening and inner standing. Welcome to our tribe. And now your hosts, Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn.
0: guys for tuning in to Divine Nobody's podcast. I'm your host, Eric Ajnan, and I'm reporting to you from the surface of the sun, guys. Well, I mean, at least it feels that way. We're experiencing something relative to a heat wave here in sunny California, so today we're going to invoke the spirit of Jamie Escalante, of stand and deliver, and think cool, cool thoughts. If we can all just think cool, cool thoughts. We're all out there trying to manifest a better life, which is good. That's a good thing, but I'm a simple guy today, Let's manifest a low of around 60 to 70 degrees tonight, something a little cooler. And uh, you know, if my guides are listening, I definitely wouldn't object to it. So let's all put all the vibes out to the people in California. Let's make it happen. So today I'm joined by a very special guest, which I'm reluctant to call her a guest because she's so much more than that, let's be honest. And let's call it what it is. She's family, right? She's family. I have a very close soul sister staying with me for a few days while she makes her way to this year's Burning Man. Yes, that's a thing. That is a thing that is happening very, very soon. And if you don't know about it, you must be living under a black rock in Black Rock City, Nevada, which is where Burning Man is located, right? I haven't seen her in quite some time, actually quite a few years. And the last time I did see her was prior to the pandemic, where life was definitely a bit different for all of us. And at the time, she was actually embarking on a very special journey that involved her and an RV, right? Or what we nowadays like to call taking to the van life, the RV life. So today we're going to sit down and have a chat with her about her adventures, her journeys on the road, as well as across America and all around the world, of course, and see if we can learn a little more about this sort of nomadic lifestyle that many millennials nowadays are aspiring to achieve. So everybody, let's uh, please welcome my soul sister, Valerie Lowe. Yes, yes, everybody, everybody. Yes, you in the back there, get up, stand up. Yes, yes, everybody. I see you over there, everybody. Oh, one more, one more round of applause for. Her. One more. Okay, 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 okay. All right, let's get serious. Let's get serious. How are you doing, oh, Belle?
1: I love it. I love the audience. Oh, you like that? They're
0: here. They're here just to, just for you, though. I Belle. know. Thank you so much.
1: How are you doing? Great. You, I'm feeling great. How
0: does it feel to be back in the states?
1: You know what? It feels like homecoming. Surprisingly. Yeah, Yeah, I didn't know I would have this feeling, but as soon as I stepped on the land, stepped back on the land, it feels like homecoming.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure it definitely feels like home, but I imagine it's also a very different place than it was Mm pre-pandemic, right? mm -hmm. They're all sort of adjusting to the changes together. And of course, me and Valerie, we we still had continued to talk while she was embarking on her journeys overseas. So, you know, we remain in contact, and I'm sure she remains in contact with a lot of the friends, but... um, I wanted to get into there's actually a lot of different things that i wanted to kind of cover with you because you do so many things value you have a lot of different experience she's a really creative person but a, re- a memory that i have so we met back in i think 2015 sometime around that time right mm. and uh, one of the earliest memories that i have is from lightning in a bottle right lightning yeah. in a bottle 2015
1: that was a home
0: yeah and that was that was home and i remember uh Prior to going to Lightning in a Bottle, Valerie would mention it when we'd um, be hanging out with friends, she told me about this place and she told me that it was like heaven on earth, right? And uh, I didn't have any have any context for that because you know it sounded like a beautiful concept, but every time I talked to her, she's like, you gotta go to this place called Lightning in a Bottle, it's like heaven on earth. And uh, somehow we ended up going and I ended up going to Lightning in a Bottle and it was still to this day is one of the most transformative experiences that I've ever had in my life. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely a lot to get into, but a memory that I have of you is at Lightning in a Bottle, 2015. And we were walking to the lightning stage to see Odessa, right? And it was such a magical time. I remember it was back when it was still in Bradley, California, and we were walking towards, like, the lightning or the thunder stage. And, had, like, my, my arm was around you and your arm was around me. And we were walking all in this large group together, Right? And uh, I can still, I remember I can still see like the sun peeking over the mountains, you know, right before people started howling at the moon, howling at the sun and and clapping. It's like this whole ordeal, right? Everything's all together. And we were part of this large group of people and we were all like traveling to this stage to see this band that we all really loved very much. And uh, I remember it was sort of like during Golden Hour. So it was a really beautiful time. And I was really excited because during that time I was going uh, and completing my Reiki. Master Certification in Reiki. And on the way to Lightning in a Bottle, I was trying to memorize this sort of Japanese Reiki precepts. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, turning to you and letting you know, like, this is what I've been working on. And I said that I, while we were walking, I remember whispering into your ear and, like, telling you what they were. And I said, It's a little rusty. It's kind of, it sounds okay, right? It sounds okay. Yeah, yeah. And I remember saying them to you, and you just looked at me, and you were like, oh, that's so beautiful. And you asked me what it meant. And just in case anybody's wondering, those are the Reiki precepts. They basically mm-hmm. just mean, just for today, I will not worry. Just for today, I will not be angry. Just for today, I will be grateful. Just for today, I will do my work honestly. And just for today, I will be kind to every human being. And it really meant a lot to me to like learn these things. But I remember that memory of walking with you and kind of whispering that into your ears. And you were just like, we're, we're so nice and so like uh, caring in the fact that you were listening. And that you were very receptive to it, and you were like, "Oh, that's so beautiful!" And it really, really meant a lot to me. But that entire experience, I have so many amazing memories. But that's a memory that kind of comes up for me as I remember walking with you mm-hmm. uh, to go see Odessa. Do you remember that? I that festival? don't remember that. The festival, though. Like yeah, Delaney of course, the festival.
1: festival. I remember that, but I did not remember that little piece. But yeah. and it's funny that you know a lot of times, like little pieces like this, like little memories like this, that make a lot of impact, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. little little memories like that Mm -hmm. and uh, one thing I I did notice though is that once I started getting more into like the transformational festivals, like you started, you had like more of an active role in them, like you were volunteering at Mm -hmm. these places, right? Were you volunteering for Lightning in a Bottle that time?
1: Yes, yes, I arrived about a week or maybe five days earlier. Yeah. to set up i, I actually volunteer i told them that i know how to build so i volunteered to build a stage and it oh. was actually the first time i even like try to use tools and stuff and really? it was really cool yeah oh
0: you told them that you can build and they assigned <laughs> you to build the yes, stage yes. Was it like the lightning or the thunder stage or it warbles? was one of
1: the biggest stage is the Woogie stage I, oh, Wookiee, yeah. I don't i don't remember the name but it was one Wookiee of the stage yeah yeah it was really great to like work with the designer and the team yeah. and yeah they're like, here's some tools. You know what to do, right? No, they they taught me. So <laughs> <laughs> that was the beginning of my, uh, you know, festival building career yeah and it was amazing to see the whole place getting built and then you know afterwards uh, seeing people started to come enjoying the things that we built it was such a wonderful feeling and also being able to camp with the volunteers and you know work with them for a few days before the before the actual festival yeah. it was a really beautiful, beautiful yeah. experience.
0: so if anybody's not familiar with transformational festivals i mean this is something that i, I think lightning in a bottle was still relatively new back in 2015 mm. right and um, mm. they're much bigger now like do lab they're they're massive, right? Mm -hmm. And I think they've changed locations twice since then. Mm -hmm. But a transformational festival is sort of like this integration between like a regular music festival, but the lighting in a bottle is sort of this integration between like different healing modalities. There's sort of like a spiritual underpinning behind it. Mm -hmm. So the one thing that I gathered from that experience, which was still transformative to this day, is that it was a bunch of people on some sort of spiritual journey, right? And there was like this sense of community that you felt when you were there with everybody. And I imagine it's probably like Burning Man, Mm -hmm. right? You have all these people that share this sort of one common goal, and that's just creating a more beautiful world. Mm -hmm. And I understood in those moments what you meant by bringing heaven to earth, Mm -hmm. because you have all these people that are vibing in this way. And so, transformational festivals, like during the day, they have workshops where they have sound baths and like uh, people that are speaking on behalf of like maybe medicinal, um, like plant medicines, or Mm -hmm. like uh, just different things like that. More, more mind-expanding type of concepts. So when you were volunteering um, for them, did you get to meet a lot of people in that community?
1: Yeah, I did, that's why uh, when I said I met, I was working with the designer of that stage that was really inspiring because she was the one who designed the whole thing. And remember that year, that stage was incredible. Like it was colorful, it was very unique and uh, yeah. And I I got to see what it takes to, to put up a festival you know, it's not just us going and show up and they probably arrive two weeks early. No, they plan it like for a whole year. And somebody told me they spend, I think, six months just to design the map of the festival. Really? You know, yeah, so a lot goes into it.
0: I wonder, mm-hmm. I imagine that that must be like a really surreal thing to like spend so much time. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are spending all this time into these stages and then seeing everybody like enjoy it.
1: Yeah, it's right? such a rewarding feeling. I yeah. remember like, I remember, you know, I saw some of the volunteers that I came with, they were the one placing the fence, Yeah. you know, placing those posts one by one. And I was like, wow, I never really appreciate that little part. You know, yeah. now I get to see, well, everything that I see here, somebody put effort into it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like everybody puts so much thought and intention. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the people that just come, I mean, I'm sure a lot of the people that do come do. Because every time I had gone, I'd always have a friend there that was volunteering, you being one of them. Mm-hmm. But if you were in the spiritual community, and let's just say California, mm-hmm. like if you did sound baths or you were somebody that did Reiki, like you were doing something there, like you were volunteering there, whether or not it's in like their healing mm-hmm. den where all the healers go, or whether or not if you're somebody that's more... A little bit more like creative, you were part of the build. Mm-hmm. So it's cool to see like the community that's sort of like generated around that whole thing. Yeah. It very much seemed like a sort of like a communal environment where everybody's exactly. like making something really beautiful happen. Mm-hmm. And I imagine it, when I would go there, I always thought of it, it's like it's just like this huge playground that is specifically just designed for people to have fun, Mm -hmm. you know, where like, where like adults can be like kids again. Mm -hmm. And then where you can like meet new people. And that's, that's the one thing that I love about lighting in a bottle is you always meet some really amazing people there. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of that, I mean, one of the reasons why you're down here, we're going to talk a little bit about your travels, because this is something that I think a lot of people are really interested in. Um, Especially nowadays, people are becoming a little bit more interested in the van life or being a digital nomad. Right. But now that we're talking about the reason why you're here, which is of to see your friends but also to go to burning man that's like a really big deal right and yeah. you've, you've been a veteran of burning man for quite a bit of time but you're mm-hmm. doing something a little different this time which mm-hmm. i imagine your lighting in a ball experience and volunteering yeah. helped sort of pave the way so you're creating uh, an art installation
1: that's right <laughs> it's my fifth year this year and um yeah this has been my dream for many many years now and finally it's happening i'm building an art installation. And I'm, you know, not just attending, not just participating in as an attendee, but I'm actually building something. And, yeah, it's. I've been working on this for several months. Uh-huh. And I was away from USA, you know, for the whole time I was planning it. And I just arrived, like, a, a week ago. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been a, quite a journey. It's been a journey since I decided to say, hey, I'm going to make an art installation this year. And, uh, yeah, it's still going on. And tomorrow we'll have a big day, and next week we're going to build. I mean, yeah. yeah.
0: So I remember when I went on uh, Facebook, and this is kind of how we remained in contact with you while you were traveling overseas, and I, I saw something on your Facebook that sort of resembled how the art installation is going to look, right? Mm-hmm. And I think you mentioned something about it being called cosmic entanglement. Mm-hmm. So, can you explain um, exactly what this art installation is and like yeah. what what the objective is?
1: Yeah. So, so a little backstory. So, it, it, I actually made this two years ago, um, two years ago when the pandemic hit, mm-hmm. um, the whole world shut down. But I was lucky enough to be on an island in Thailand, which I kind of call home. And at that time, you know, um, a group of us just decided to have a burn since we can't go anywhere. So uh, 250 of us got together and had a little burn. And at that time I also sign up and say, hey, I can volunteer, I can build, because I just love building festivals, right? Ah. And then Sorrentipity. I don't know what happened. I just kind of got to be an artist. And, and at that time I was really busy, honestly. And I was like, I just want to make the minimum effort and make something. So I bought a bunch of robes from, a store, from the store and then I just uh, brought it to the event and it was actually located in the jungle. So we just, we just like webbed the ropes between the trees. Yeah. And at that time, my, my, my idea was just so that people can just walk through the rope or something, nothing crazy. Yeah. But as soon as like gates open, people start coming in and they start climbing, walking and like hanging on the ropes and they were having so much fun. It was like beyond my imagination. Yeah. And at that time I told myself, you know what, next time I go back to Black Rock City, I'm bringing this art piece to Black Rock City. So here we are, um, yeah, now it's happening.
0: Now it's happening, and and from what I've um, kind of gathered from looking at the photos, it almost looks like a few pillars, like uh, almost like telephone poles, right? Right. That are like wooden. Yeah. And they're set up in maybe uh, a round sort of structure, and then you have all these different ropes that are yeah. being tied to and from, in all these different directions yeah. to these poles. Yeah. And so it almost reminds me of like a, a spider web, mm-hmm. right? Where you have people that can climb on these ropes mm-hmm. and just sort of like, I mean, I imagine this is like a slackliners dream, right? Mm-hmm. Because they love ropes. Right. Right. Uh, getting on these ropes and having this sort of like jungle gym of ropes Mm -hmm. that you can kind of climb on and hang out in like that right
1: yeah i just love that the inter uh, the interact uh the how do i call it it's 100 percent interactive yeah right so people get to use their whole body i i love using my whole body to climb on things you know and uh, when that happens the people's inner child come out Right. Like they play, you know. Some some of them are actually quite cautious. They're like, hey, can I can I do this? Can I do that? And then afterwards they let go, and then they just kind of like you know really trust the rope and play. Yeah. And I really love seeing that. So um, so for for to bring this art piece to Burning Man. That was a big challenge because, you know, we were in the jungle two years ago and now we're in the desert where there's no trees. So how are we going to do this? So that has been our biggest challenge, it still is. I I mean, so that's why we, the plan is we have uh, five utility posts. They are actually utility, wooden utility posts. So we have five of them and the biggest challenge is to make sure that we can anchor them down uh, safely and strong, that we can web the ropes any way we want and people Uh can play on it any way they want and the whole thing still stand.
0: Yeah. Wow. And, and was this something that you designed yourself or you had like a team kind of help you with?
1: I definitely has a, I have a team. Like, yeah. I don't know anything about rigging, like physics, forces, loads. Right. I don't know anything. I remember. Um, so at first I, I recruited a friend of, of mine and also yours, Jason. Yeah. Uh, Jason was here in L.A. and he has worked on a few art pieces before. So yeah. I, I asked him, hey, would you like to be a part of this? And he immediately says, says, said yes. Yeah. Didn't even hesitate, and uh, at that time also, I recruited another friend from Thailand, the one that helped me build the one in Thailand. His name is T. He also helped uh, designing the part as well, designing the piece as well. Yeah. So those are those two other people who are lead led the design.
0: Yeah, and you know, I I know a lot of people it, like in our group of friends mm-hmm. that you know at some point try to embark on creating an in art installation and offering something to Burning Man. Mm-hmm. It's always like really inspiring because of how much. Like, a, how, how inspired it makes them to create something uh, in the hope that, you know, somebody over there is obviously going to enjoy it. And the one thing that I noticed about these art installations, and I imagine this is the reason why a lot of these artists do it, is because you're, like, Black Rock City, is, it's, it's such a large place, and there's so many different art installations, but every single one that exists creates this little tiny community around the art mm-hmm. installation, where mm-hmm. you have people meet each other there you can meet friends there like people share memories that they're always going to have for the rest of their lives at these art installations so i imagine that probably goes through your mind after you make something like that. Is like there are people that are going to be enjoying this yeah there are people that there there could be a couple that gets married right there there could be you know two people that fall in love that just meet each other there Mm -hmm. like all these memories are happening at these art installations and you're going to be a part of that
1: that's true that's i think that's the rewarding part you know i it almost gets addicting Like, um, yeah, you want to keep doing it again and again. And the funny thing is, you know, when, when this idea came to mind, um, I think it's mostly for my self-growth as well. Yeah. I know that this is gonna be a really big project and just me going through the process, I know it's stretching me, it's um, you know stretching my capacity. Yeah. And that's one thing that I really love, like to always stretch my capacity. And it wasn't comfortable, it wasn't easy. It was a lot of stressful moments. Yeah. And there was many, many times I asked myself, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Why do I even right. bother? You know, why don't I just go in uh-huh. and enjoy? And uh, so yeah, but every time I think, that way I'm like you know what I'm just gonna keep taking the next step the next step the next step and now here I am I'm actually definitely doing this and you know it's only a week away
0: and it's like a perfect example of kind of what just attending Burning Man kind of does to you because when people I hear people talk about Burning Man they're always talking about you know it's one of the most rewarding experiences you can go through Mm -hmm. but also one of the most challenging experiences Mm -hmm. that you can have Mm -hmm. That it's not always comfortable, mm-hmm. but there's something about the sort of uh, idea of survival amongst a community of people that are all working together. That's mm-hmm. that says definitely makes it worth it, right? So I imagine you're you're at the same time going through the same type of struggle that people go through at Burning Man, by trying to make this art installation happen, by trying to move the parts to the right place, get everybody on the same page, and then finally setting it up and then have everybody enjoy it.
1: Mm-hmm. It sort of like
0: seems like a very similar. Sort of practice that people kind of go through, whether or not it's creating an art installation or whether or not it's, you know, learning everything that you can from just being at Burning Man. Mm -hmm. What are some things that you love about Burning Man?
1: It's really, first of all, the community, you know, it kind of yeah. like restore uh, my faith in humanity, just the, the, the level of connection. Yeah. Uh, people come together and share, and, you know, it runs on gifting economy. There's no bothering, no exchange, no, you can't buy anything, but it's just simply give and receive. Right. Give unconditionally, receive unconditionally, and that's a huge part. Yeah. And another part is I think I wouldn't be who I am without Burning Man. I think yeah. every year I go, it just, upgrades me almost, you know, it yeah. expands I, I I get expanded and I get leveled up to, you know, the next level.
0: Yeah. So
1: this year I feel like I'm stretching my capacity again to go into the next step.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Whenever I ask anybody about Burning Man, you included, it's just it's there's this sort of sparkle and this gleam in their eyes. Maybe it's that hope in humanity that you're talking about. If everybody talks so positively about it. But the difficult thing is trying to explain Burning Man to someone Mm -hmm. that's never been to Burning Man. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm familiar with that because of transformational festivals and things like that, but trying to explain something like that to, say, like your parents or somebody in your family, it's almost like you can't explain it Mm -hmm. unless you go. Mm
1: -hmm. You know,
0: Because when you try and explain it to people, they're like, oh, it's out in the desert, there's nothing there. It's really hot. Oh,
1: are you just partying all the time? But yeah. it's like the partying part is like the least uh, you know, the yeah. smallest part. Like there's so much more to it.
0: Like you got wind storms, it's like, how is that comfortable? And oh, everybody's just like, you know what? <laughs> there's there's some some magic there. Yeah. And if you want to find out, you just you just have to go.
1: Yeah.
0: You know? Yeah. One thing I actually did want to ask you about, mm-hmm. and uh this is I wanted to know your opinion on this. I wanted to know your your um opinion on this. Because see, I'm going to play devil's advocate and ask questions that somebody that's never been to Burning Man would ask. Okay. How do you deal with the heat and the constant windstorms?
1: It's not constant windstorm, but okay, the heat. You know what? That's, that's There has to be a point where I won't say you're comfortable with the heat, but you just deal with it. <laughs> you know, of course, I, you know, I, I have this like misting fan that like, you know, shoots out water and then the oh. fan, it kind of cools me down. But I think... Um, other than little things like that is really just be comfortable with the uncomfortable. Yeah. Like I know it's scorching hot, but can I just be okay even though it's hot, you right. know? And the dust storm, I come, like the, when the dust storm comes is when I am the most excited. Like yes, I get my money back. It's like this is what I'm waiting (laughs) for, you know. Like uh, just going through, like nature. Right. Go through something so profound, like the dust storm. It's almost like in a movie, and uh, yeah, it's actually really thrilling.
0: Yeah, you don't Mm -hmm. get to experience stuff like that in like LA or California and things like that. So I imagine being in the midst of that. It's like a very reminds you that you're human. Mm -hmm. You know, it reminds Mm -hmm. me. It reminds you of how how small, but also like infinite and like uh, eternal that you are, but to place yourself in the midst of nature, which happens to be just really, really powerful, sort of like I imagine is very humbling.
1: Yeah, and also knowing that, wow, I can survive all, through all of this. I right. remember one time there was a th- dust storm coming and I was cycling in the opposite direction and I was barely moving with my bike, but I was yeah. telling myself, wow, I can't believe I'm doing this. Like, I can do it. And, and you know, yeah. I just realized how powerful I am. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I have some friends that go and they bring RVs. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing that I've heard... Um, often is, is even if you bring an RV and you try and kind of shield yourself from things like dust, somehow somehow the dust makes itself into the RV. It
1: everything. gets into, it gets into the
0: everything. little tiny cracks and everything, right?
1: <laughs> everything.
0: You don't even know. It's sort of like your rite of passage. If you're going to go to Black Rock City, you're going to get dust on everything and you just have yeah. to be okay with it, right?
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you this though. Um, so people that have gone to the burn for years and you've gone for years and I'm sure you've noticed how it's changed over time. Right. So people that have gone for years um, talk about how much it's changed over the years. And many people tend to talk about this sort of gentrification of Burning Man as a result of uh, Silicon Valley's interest in it. Mm. Right. And Silicon Valley, I mean, you know, Silicon Valley in San Francisco, you have a lot of people that are into tech, a lot of people that are into the sort of Burning Man vibe. And that's a good thing. Right. But with that came a lot of other interests, which are celebrity interests, mm. um, and you know, a lot of sort of massive elitist type of camps, right? that are exclusive to like certain people. This is stuff that I've just heard. You've, you may or may have not experienced this, but I, there are some groups of people that say that Burning Man has changed because of all of the sort of the money that is kind of flowing through it now. Mm. Is that something that you feel has changed Burning Man in a way? Like, do you notice, you know, the attention that it's gotten through like celebrities or through like Silicon Valley, where you have people with massive amounts of money that are creating these camps that are only meant for certain types of people. Do you think that's changed the dynamic a little bit?
1: You know what? Maybe in the bigger picture, when we're looking from the outside, maybe it looks like, wow, there's so much money being put there. And then there was, there's all this plug and play. We call it plug and play camps and retrieval yeah. coming. But I feel like in the in the personal sense, I want when I'm actually inside and the and the little experiences that I have. Don't change so much, you know. So I think everything still comes down to like is it this very personal experience. So yeah. I can be talking to a millionaire, but we are still having a very natural human experience, right? Yeah. Doesn't matter what. That's why I love Burning Man, because everybody is equal. Even though maybe the other person spent a lot of money being there, yeah. but when we're there on that piece of land, everybody's equal. There's no yeah. ranking, there's no like, okay, you're more popular or you're more rich. There's nothing mm. like that because you can buy anything right. there. And it's still, you know, a very fundamental human connection and interaction that's yeah. that's regardless of your status or your money.
0: Yeah. yeah. So yeah. You've, you've still, over time, even after all of those changes, and, I mean, it was expected that it was going to get as large as it has. I mean, Burning Man's been around for a long time. I totally support the fact that there's even just general interest in it because if you've gone to Burning Man once, you're bringing that experience back into the world, right? That's And the that point. experience stays with you, mm-hmm. that 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 sort of sense, and I I got this same sense from Lightning in a Bottle, like when I came back from Lightning in a Bottle, I had this idea of what was possible, Mm. right? Because Lightning in a Bottle, just like Burning Man, is like this huge social experiment of what life would be like if everybody was on the same page. Like if love was the moderating force in the universe Mm -hmm. and people genuinely cared about supporting one another. And I thought to myself, like, wow, this is, because it happened at Lightning in a Bottle, because it happens at Black Rock City, it's obviously possible. So I imagine people that go to these events come back and they try and integrate that into a regular everyday life and I think we're we're starting to see that in people being a lot more liberal when it comes to things and people kind of craving that more sort of communal life. Mm-hmm. So you know, I am I'm I'm happy that people are attending them just in general. Yeah. So I'm glad that you're even after all of the changes, like you're still able to see that sense of camaraderie between you and other people and mm-hmm. that hasn't changed.
1: And it's really like you said the right thing, like you you hit the point because the intention and the goal I won't say the goal, but intention of having festivals like these events events like this is to hopefully this event can affect you know things in the in the in the broader way, right? right. And we can we are able to bring this type of uh, uh, mentality or way of life back to the default world. That's why we call right. it back to the society, and hopefully, can create positive change to our environment. And that's that's the whole point.
0: How do you think that Burning Man has changed your life and how you see the world?
1: Oh my God, so much, like yeah. so much. I don't even know how, where to start. Like I said, I won't be who I am without Burning Man, yeah. right? And I think the the way I interact with people, e- even you know, when we were at the um, uh, when I was going to Lighting in a Bottle before I went to Burning Man, that kind of like even before my raving days, actually, yeah. I think that my raving days, you know, back in the days, kind of sparked that, like taught me that way. There is a different way to relate to people. Right. You know, everybody can be my friends. You right. know, there's there's not necessarily strangers. Like right. we can, I can make friends. Like you know, people are just my brothers and sisters. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's like dissolving the boundaries that people have that keep people sort of separate, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like you're you're clearing through all of the sort of baggage or the conditioning that makes us separate, you know? A lot of the sort of things that ego tends to sort of have us believe. And once mm-hmm. you get rid of all of those sort of boundaries, you're kind of reduced down to just being the same. Like you're all collectively one force, and that allows you, that. that you imagine there's like a really really huge sense of unity between you and other people. You know, like when you're looking at people, you're not just looking at like who they are, what type of job they have, how Mm -hmm. much money they have. You're seeing them as like real authentic people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like a really beautiful thing, Mm -hmm. you know. So yeah, that's a really good thing that you're doing. That's really inspiring that you're putting that art installation Together, I know it's going to be really, really amazing. I know that people are really going to enjoy it.
1: Thank you. And
0: hopefully, like the next following, you're going to have like a, a jet with like you know the, the wings cut off, and people are going to be partying inside of it. You know, like those big, <laughs> huge ass things. Yeah, I'm sure you'll come up with something. But uh, I wanted to kind of uh, switch a little bit. There's a few things that I wanted to go over with you because one, one of the things that I observed about you is that you've always been a very like free-spirited person. Mm-hmm. right wild at heart right you're very very independent you're just radically adventurous type of person and i think that's really inspiring one because you know a lot of people strive to be that way to live life in this way where they can just you know like play by their own rules and, and go on adventures and live life how they want to live it because a lot of people especially down here in the west we're kind of like trapped in that sort of 9 to 5 we have our jobs and a lot of people have certain fears about going outside of that. And it does take a certain amount of courage, and courage that I imagine that you have. So I wanted to kind of trace back to the beginning and just kind of go over, I wanted to ask you, like, where you are originally from?
1: (laughs) Back to the roots, huh?
0: Yeah, back to the roots. That's the best place to
1: start. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'm from Malaysia. So I was born and raised in Malaysia. Uh Um, I moved to the States when I was 20 years old. So, yeah.
0: Why did you come to the States originally?
1: For school. So I, I I had two years of college in Malaysia, and I was going to come finish my college here in the States. Mm-hmm. And I moved to Minnesota, from Malaysia to Minnesota.
0: Oh, Minnesota.
1: Yeah in the coldest time of the year in December in Minnesota, yeah.
0: Yeah, and when you came down here, did you speak English or did you have to learn that while you were down here?
1: I mean, I spoke English, but not that good. I mean, I could probably understand 60, 70% of what people were saying, yeah. and I couldn't, you know, I wasn't so fluent in my speaking. Right. Yeah.
0: So when you were growing up in in Malaysia, you must have had some ideas of what the states were like, right? And so when Mm. you finally came to the Mm. states, how different was it? comparative comparing to how you thought it
1: was I, I i don't remember how i think the state was but i just yeah. feel like it's just something that i couldn't even have imagined you know yeah. there's no i couldn't have expected anything yeah. and at that time i was young i was 20 and uh, i just i just flew here i had no idea about anything and you know it, yeah. it just happened i think a lot of time a lot of things that i do in my life i just kind of do it and yeah. i I don't plan so much. I don't think about it so much. I just kind of do it and then realize, you know, things as I go.
0: <laughs> yeah. And you have family in Malaysia, right? Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. And
0: you're the only one down here?
1: Mm, I have a cousin in you Dallas. A cousin down yeah, here? but that's about it. What is
0: that like? Because you've been here for a long time. Like, what is it like being, uh, and I've asked this question to several people in our circle. I'm always really interested about it. My family's always been within very close proximity of me. Mm. What is it like being away from your family for mm. that long?
1: Interest. So I actually left home when I was 17. Uh-huh. So I moved to the city when I was 17 and to go to the college in Malaysia. So yeah, I feel like, you know, I, I don't even know because, you know, I've never been with my family so close, but I, seriously, yeah. I've been what, um, for the most part of my life, I've been away from home. Yeah and uh i i feel like even though i don't speak with my family i don't see them all the time yeah. but i still have a very strong family support right. like i know that and if anything happens to me my family has got me so so i i still feel like family is with me yeah. even though i am not with them all the time yeah mm-hmm.
0: yeah and that, that must have probably uh influenced this sort of like radical independence that you practice too, because you were practicing that so young, you know, going and being off on your own. Mm-hmm. You know, you had your own sort of like Buddha on the outs- outskirts of the city sort of moment where you got to go kind of explore life on your own. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that sort of burst that sort of free spirited aspect in you. What were some of the differences in culture that you observed or that you remember? Like what's the culture like, even not even just from when you were a kid, but just because I'm not from Malaysia, I'm not entirely sure how things go over there. How different is it from here?
1: It's very different. So I remember when I first, you know, started going to college in the States, I was like, wow, I was in the classroom, and people would talk to the professor. Mm-hmm. They would ask questions. They would raise their, their hands, and they would just have a conversation with the professor, almost like challenging them sometimes, you know? Yeah. But that would never happen in in, the, in Asian culture. In the classroom, in Asia, you know, we're meant to just like... Like listen and and uh, taking orders and right. obeying rules. Like I, I I'm not saying those are bad. I think there's good things in both culture. Like one knows how to follow and no one knows how to lead. And I think it's very important to have both. Yeah. So, but that's the one thing I think people here are very proactive. They're very ex- expressive. Right. But that's something that you know Asian culture is not very used to. Right. Yeah.
0: That's interesting. It's mm-hmm. interesting. You're not able to kind of ask questions and challenge the teachers and things like people that people
1: just not afraid to do it or afraid to you know open our mouth <laughs> yeah.
0: so yeah. how are how are people in contrast as far as like uh like when you're collaborating with other people like are they friendly like did do you, is is are they very much about their culture like are there certain sort of like um, patterns of behavior that you notice there that you don't really see here down to like you know, giving and receiving food or doing nice things for other people.
1: Mm-hmm. You mean uh, like in Malaysia, in Malaysia compared, to, the compared states? to states? Yeah. You know what? I feel like when it comes down to like the 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 human, you know, humanity, the yeah. humanness is in us, it's. Yeah pretty much the same yeah like i've i've travels, you know around the world now i've met people from all different cultures and yeah. i feel like everything comes down to like we're just human and we have the same emotions we make the same type of jokes you know and and you, when you see in the group in a the group there's like different roles right there's a leader there's followers there's a yeah. joker and that happens in all cultures yeah and that's one thing that actually like hit me uh, I was surprised when I started traveling and I was like, wow, actually we're all from different cultures, different races, but we're all the same. Yeah.
0: So it almost seems like it's, it's built in, like it's an archetypal thing that happens with just humans, you know, yeah. like no matter where we're at in the world, whatever proximity that we're at, we're all fundamentally the same and how mm. we like love, you mm-hmm. know, and how we like want to express that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think maybe certain cultures just have different nuances and how that sort of thing manifests, but that's good.
1: Yeah. It's,
0: it's, it's good to know, you know, for people that haven't been out of the States that, you know, that there's still kind and loving people in the world. And I already knew that there were, mm. I just wanted to know kind of what your experience was like, uh, in contrast to here, mm. you know, cause there are some people that I, I remember like talking to from like England or, or British and you're tar- asking them about like, oh, what is is what what is your perception of the States? And they're like, oh, it's just like a big circus over there. It's like one big reality <laughs> television show, yeah you know, because of just how liberal um, everything is, mm-hmm. you know. So it's, it's interesting to see how things change. Mm-hmm. So like I said, you've always been like a really free-spirited person. At what point did you realize that you wanted to become more of like a digital nomad, right, or or sort of leave the sort of conventional world behind? Because when you came down here to the States, I knew you for a while, you had your own business and mm-hmm. you were doing, you were doing, you know, I imagine that took a lot of your time. That was, uh, I, I guess for all intents and purposes, kind of like a, a casual job, but at some point you got, you re- renounced all of that. Like you sold your business and you decided to take on a different type of life. Like what was it that, that influenced you to take a jump like
1: that? it's burning man (laughs) it was burning man Man. that was the turning point so yeah it was my second second year of burning man and before i headed to before burning man that year i set an intention for myself i said my intention is to be uncomfortable this year i want to be uncomfortable so and um you know long story short there was a quote there was a quote that kind of changed everything I remember my friend, my campmate Kevin, told me a quote that he saw at a Porto party. Oh, and a portal party. Yeah. That's where and all the said, good quotes happen. <laughs> exactly. And the quote says um, Don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive, because what the world needs is more people who are alive. Yeah. And I contemplate that for pretty much the entire burn, and also on the drive back. And I ask myself, what makes me feel alive? Yeah. And I didn't know that at the beginning. Yeah. And when I was driving back home that year and I w- we took a scenic route back mm-hmm. to LA, and I remember I was seeing new things, new scenery, and I was just so happy and I felt so alive. I was like, wait, this is feeling this is a feeling of being alive. Yeah. And I and I arrived back to my apartment. I had a really nice, comfortable two-bedroom apartment. Right. And I opened the door and I was like, wow, this is so comfortable and it's so predictable and it, yeah. safe. And, yeah. And I almost don't want this anymore, oh. you know? And uh, and I was like, why do I even have a two-bedroom apartment apartment for myself? Like, what's yeah. the whole point? So then I had this idea, why don't I just, uh, you know, take a different path and start traveling? Right. And I think within a matter of a few weeks, I just really pull the trigger, yeah. move everything. So pretty much everything. Yeah. And uh Yeah. It's funny that, you know, now I start hearing people say, hey, don't quit your job. Don't <laughs> don't do anything drastic at least like one or two months after the burn. So I totally didn't do that. I, I pulled the trigger right away. And yeah. you know, I, I I'm not I don't regret it. It was yeah. the best thing that ever happened to me.
0: You have to take that risk. I remember reading an article online about like post-festival depression that people <laughs> go through. I was like, apparently that's a real thing. I didn't I didn't know that it was a real thing until I went to a festival, especially lightning in a bottle. I came back and I was like, oh. Like, how am I going to live the same? You know, like you have all of these different insights and all these different ways in which you know the world can be, and then you have to sort of slowly integrate that back into mm-hmm. society or a society that doesn't necessarily sort of apply the same type of logic to life. Mm. And so I've actually known of people that have just straight up quit their jobs after festivals, mm-hmm. and I don't know how they're doing, but that that, that just kind of shows you, gives you an idea of how serious that feels. Mm right? Because you're not even just, you're doing it for yourself, you know, like it it reminds me of a quote, what you're talking to me about is uh, Osho has this quote that says, courage is a love affair with the unknown, Mm -hmm. right? There's nothing wrong with living life safe. There's nothing wrong with security. There's a lot of people out there that, that, that love that Mm -hmm. and people, you know, they can optimize their life and they can live a really amazing life that way. But then Mm -hmm. there are these other people that want that adventure, that, that, want to know what life would be like if we got out of our comfort zone and tried something that we're not familiar with, diving headfirst into the unknown. And you have to have a lot of courage to do that. I mean, I want to say, you know, it it is definitely not easy and there are a lot of people that are doing it, but I imagine that there aren't as many people doing it as people that are just being comfortable and Mm -hmm. safe. And this is the reason why this is so inspiring because there are a lot of people that love the idea of doing that. But they need that little push. You know, they need that, that, that. Because th- you're going up against so much, right? You try and tell your parents that, hey, I want to give up my job and give up my apartment and just take to the van life or or just take to just being a traveling nomad. And the first thing that they're going to tell you as parents is, are you crazy? Yeah. Like, are you sure you want to do that? And, of course, if they're supportive, they'll allow you to do it. But that um, just kind of shows the stigma that's kind of behind it because the assumption is that something bad's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Or the assumption is is that it's going to be too difficult for you. Mm-hmm. But you're never, ever going to know unless you do it, Yeah. right? And what's and it takes a different type of trust, I imagine, trust that the universe is always going to take care of you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And also this sort of like radical acceptance of whatever it is that's going to happen, you can develop and find a way to get through it, Yeah. right? It, it almost seems it. like if you're going to... Accept that as a part of your life, you're accepting everything that comes along with it, both good and bad. Yeah. And even the bad is almost, I imagine, seen as a good because you're able to learn from those things.
1: Right, right. You right?
0: get it, really. Yeah. I get it. Oh, yeah. I, I sh- I'm going to quit. I should quit my job then. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing, even here with this podcast. I need to go. You know, this is the reason why I've been interested in van life because you know what? I'm at that point where, like, the mm-hmm. festivals, my own spiritual practice, Influenced me in such a way where I'm like, you know what? I couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. That's what Buddha did the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, Krishna did the exact same thing. Like, I feel like it's in our human DNA to kind of adventure outside of what's comfortable Mm
1: -hmm. and like
0: trust that life will take care of you, Mm
1: -hmm. right?
0: So so now that we're on this track, so what I remember, once you gave up that, you bought an RV,
1: Mm-hmm. right
0: mm-hmm. like you went out and you purchased an rv i remember the rv was huge mm-hmm. and i remember seeing like there's like tiny val and then there's this huge <laughs> rv right yeah. so what what was your goal after you got the rv obviously to travel around but you know
1: yeah it was really nice so i before i bought the rv i traveled fighting like, two years around the world yeah and i came back to the states yeah, I actually just wanted a place to to stay because I was like, I probably shouldn't stay at my friend's house all the time. Maybe I should have a place for myself. Yeah. And uh, and then I got this idea, maybe I'll just buy an RV. And the funny thing is I hadn't even been in an RV before I bought one. I bought one and I went inside. I, I was like, well, this is the first time I'm in an RV. And then I started driving and I was like, oh my God, I have a home now. I, you know, this is my home. This is my responsibility. This yeah. is crazy. But honestly though, I didn't have that long of a plan i think i'm not such a big planner yeah. i just thought like okay this is something it feels right to do this right now right so i'll do it yeah
0: yeah yeah mm-hmm. and, and and so i remember when that happened and uh you were just about to go traveling and things like that and you've i wanted to exp- i wanted to talk with you kind of post that experience because obviously it's after the fact now but um that's, that's that that's not one of those things that you could just park on a street you know what i mean Like I wanted to go over sort of like some of the difficult experiences that you may have had, or maybe Mm -hmm. questions that I have regarding that thing. Was it? Was there any like uh, feelings of fear that you had experienced being a woman traveling by yourself?
1: Of course, I won't say that because I'm a woman, I'm afraid of things happening to me. But just like I'm a human being, and I was afraid. Like there was there was a few sleepless nights for sure, you know. And like sometimes I will park in a neighborhood. And I'll be scared of people, like, would just knock on my window, you know, in the middle of the night, and they're just lingering uneasiness sometimes. Or I remember I would camp out in the desert all by myself, and uh, one time I had a mouse that came into my RV, and I couldn't sleep for, for two days. He didn't leave for two days. And I was like, oh my goodness, what am I supposed to do with a mouse in my RV? Who can I even call?
0: <laughs> it was a mouse in your RV? Yeah, I got like, into it, my RV. And when you were, like, in your RV, did you hear it sort of, like, running around the floor? Yes, like, eating all your snacks
1: yes oh my god i seriously i i I was so lost and the next day i was like i think that was uh, the beginning of my rv life and i was like maybe i should have more protection (laughs) so the next day i went to walmart got like all kinds of like self-protection stuff you know um but yeah it's just a funny story like it it was just a mouse but at the same time it was terrifying to me yeah yeah
0: yeah because it's one of those things that you have to do something about
1: yeah and i had no help there was yeah. a, it's not like I can call a boyfriend or a friend to come help me with yeah. the mouse, right? <laughs> yeah,
0: and you, you mentioned that you had some sleepless nights, right? the mm-hmm. Aside of the whole mouse incident, mm-hmm. and you had to park in you know, maybe questionable areas of wherever it is that you were at. Did you ever experience anything that you had to be afraid of or those are just sort of just fears that you had? I
1: think it's just like nothing really, dang- I wasn't in any danger yeah. the whole time, if that's what you meant. Like I didn't feel like I was in danger. There was one time there was a, a a big windstorm my whole RV was shaking and that's also a time that I was really scared I was so scared the whole RV is going to tip over Um, yeah but yeah
0: yeah. So, how many states did you end up going uh, and visiting? I didn't go.
1: RV? I didn't go too far. I mean, the first time I actually kind of did it twice. The first time I yeah. was sort of just around California. Uh-huh. I didn't go too far away from LA. Um, but the second time, I drove the L- I drove the RV from LA to Texas. Yeah. So that was a long drive, and I had my I had my sister with me. She came yeah. from Malaysia, and we did the trip together.
0: Yeah. yeah. And um, did it ever get lonely for you when you were traveling by yourself?
1: It's very interesting. Like, at first I thought, um, so when, 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 I, when I was doing the RV thing, I would camp out in the desert for about seven days or 10 days at a time. And yeah. I don't see anybody. I don't really talk to anybody. And it was just me and myself. Yeah. And at that time I thought, okay, this RV thing is probably about self-empowerment, right? right. Like, I, I can do this, but it's actually about self-love. because there's nobody else giving me any interaction and it was just me being my own source for everything yeah i cook for myself and i need to make myself feel good and at that time i realized wow even when i go to starbucks in the morning and the barista greet me and say thank you and just you know hey have a good day that is also a source of connection right but like when those are gone, I was left with my own thoughts. And at that time, like thoughts were so loud because I was just in the RV by myself. And I meditate a lot. I did a lot of yoga. I did a lot of art. And it was anyway, just like just being with myself. Really got, I really got comfortable being with myself. Yeah, I think that was the biggest learning.
0: And that's, I think, one of the most profound mm-hmm. kind of learnings. And I think one of our friends, Jackson, um, I think in the recent past, he went traveling by himself too. Mm. And uh, a lot of his reasoning behind it when I asked him was that, you know, you're, you're not a whole lot of people take the time to spend extended periods of time alone, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, even when you're in the city and you're alone, you're sort of bombarded by a lot of extrasensory things that can take your attention away from yourself, even if mm-hmm. you're alone, right. you know, because you can hear the cars outside, you can watch TV, like you can... Be anywhere, and there's there's so many things to occupy. There's no so shortage of things to occupy your attention. but when you're in nature by yourself or even traveling alone, uh, you have no choice but to sit with yourself. And mm-hmm. that can be a really I imagine like a really powerful sort of lesson in teaching for somebody that isn't used to that to go mm-hmm. through, mm-hmm. right? Because now you're listening to you know the 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 dialogue you have in your mind mm-hmm. you're having you're being kind of forced to kind of sit with that. I imagine kind of work through different emotions, maybe yeah. work through certain fears. And uh, the hope is that over time, you develop maybe a better relationship with yourself, right?
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, true that.
0: Yeah, and I imagine that's kind of, that's kind of what you went through. So um, as a part of your experience in the van life, I wanted to ask you about some, some things that I imagine people that are interested in going in that direction, some questions that they have. Mm-hmm. Is it, like, how did you make a living while you were traveling?
1: Mm. so for me when i was doing my van life um i was still getting paid for my by my old company the yeah. pu- company that i was sold yeah. i was still getting paid there but um now i'm traveling around the world and right. i have jobs i have uh, my own business so that's how i'm funding myself right yeah
0: so somebody in that that you would they would consider that like a digital nomad right? right which is always the goal like for being a digital nomad i've never done it but just what i read from it is like you're having to find a way where you can make income on the go mm. and uh, the way that you find it, I imagine is more internet based type of company where you're able to work from your laptop. Mm-hmm. You're able to, I, I, I'd i hope, you know, manage your own hours mm-hmm. and work at your own pace and uh, wherever it is that you go, as long as you have an internet connection, you can make it happen. Mm-hmm. Right? So finding, I, I imagine maybe just finding something that you're good at, something that you're passionate about. Like you said, you had like an Etsy shop where you sell certain things mm-hmm. So trying to get started with that, I imagine, is just starting at something that you're passionate about doing, something that you can kind of work out on the go. Mm-hmm. So would you say, though, just based off of your experience just traveling in an RV, and I want to talk to you a little bit about the foreign travel, too. We'll get to that. But is it expensive to maintain a life on the road in an RV?
1: It depends. So yeah. You know, there's a different way to do the RV life, right? But yeah. for me, at that time, I was only pretty much only camping on the, on the BLM land.
0: Oh, okay. You know, people
1: who know BLM land it's free or you can, I think, stay there for two weeks out of a month, something like yeah. that. Uh, so, yeah, it's free. And I, I cook all three meals by myself. And so that is very cost effective and um yeah not not much uh, entertainment or places i can spend money so for me it actually it didn't cost a lot but of course gas especially nowadays yeah. gas costs a lot so that's why i don't move around so much and i will station at one place for maybe 2 weeks and then move to another place for another 2 weeks so
0: yeah yeah so it's almost like there's like a mentality that seems to go around that which is like you're 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 not you're not looking to take to the van life to continue an extravagant way of living. There's almost like a mentality and a lifestyle around it where you're living. Be, you're living within your means all mm-hmm,
1: the time and minimal. Yeah. And
0: minimal, right? Like a minimal lifestyle, like a self-sustainable lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I, I noticed a lot of the people that do that. Like they're, they're, they're so intelligent. In 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 ways of survival, like they know how to make a little bit go a long way. Mm. And even if you look at some of these like vans, I mean, some of these vans are so resourceful with what mm-hmm. they can provide to you as far as space and like uh, utilities and things like that. So, um, a lot of the people that I I've read about or seen videos about, they 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 find really intelligent ways to one make money, but two to to survive and live with very, very little. Yeah. You know, they leave such a small
1: imprint. I feel like it's not it, it, it's survival, but it's not just like survival. Yeah. It's a way of like having more awareness of right. our consumption. For right. example, when I'm in the desert, right, I only have my water tank. I don't have yeah. a constant stream of water. Right. So how do I make sure that I I conserve my water, right? right? So when I do that, I realize, wow, like in real life, like normally I... I Use things without being aware of how, where it comes from, how right. much I'm using, and it just you know blindly consuming. Right. But living that life makes me more, way more aware of my trash, my you know my water usage, just my my consumption in general.
0: Yeah, everything. Yeah. It, it's almost like what I go through when I go camping, mm-hmm, right? Like exactly. it's 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 because you're out of your comfort zone, you have to be. There's something in you that starts paying attention. Mm, paying right. Attention. Like cause you cause you you're not familiar with where you are. You don't have, you know, you don't feel comfortable enough to just just completely relax. But there's there's a sort of aliveness that comes into right. you Alertness. when you're when you're in that, right? So you are in that sort of survival kind of mode. But when I'm in nature, you're really careful and you're really aware of everything that you do. Mm. And I imagine like, uh, like what you're talking about, like when you're doing the van life or the RV life, like you aren't just being aware of where you are, you're being aware of everything that you do because you have to be resourceful, you know. I remember it was a long time ago, there was a post that you made a long time ago where you were, and I can't remember, you can correct me, but it was uh, you were trying to go for a certain period of time without accumulating trash, Mm. Right, and I I can't remember how much time it was, but after after this block of time that you did it, all you had was just this tiny, almost like a a little less than a handful of trash.
1: Mm.
0: Do you remember that? Like, you know how long you went?
1: I I don't actually. At that time, I was really trying to reduce my plastic usage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was really trying to not use plastic. Yeah. and be very, very mindful of it. And I think the example that you, you mentioned is actually an, by another girl. Uh-huh. Um, I forgot her name, but she was one of the pioneers of this n- no-plastic lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. So I think she went three years or something like that. I don't remember anymore. And she only had like a, a mason jar of trash in th- uh. that few years. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So yeah. That, that was really inspiring. Yeah, but it's stuff like
0: that, you know? Like... Uh, it it. It's hard for somebody in, in the city to wrap their brain around going for a year or even a few months without accumulating trash because mm-hmm. all the things that you find in a supermarket have packages that yeah. go along with them. You know, you buy water, you get a bottle. Like you're you're always getting something with plastic. Right. So I, I imagine that's a completely different type of level of resourcefulness because you're having to buy things that yeah. don't have the trash that come along with it.
1: I and remember I, I stopped going to 7 Eleven.
0: <laughs> at that time, you
1: know, like, yeah, yeah because every time I go to Seven Eleven, 11 it's just trash and packaging. Yeah. Yeah. How do I shop differently? How do I change my lifestyle so I use less plastic?
0: Yeah, it's crazy. Like, when you go to the store and you see some of these things, I, I, at least this is what I do when I go to a store, and then you buy a package, and then inside the packages are little, a package is little tiny little packages. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's insane to me. And I always remember, I always think to myself, like, they have this entire package for this little tiny thing. Mm-hmm. This little tiny thing that you're just going to open up and just throw away, Mm -hmm. you know, even down to like going to get a grocery store and using a bag in order to bring it home and then the bag goes in the trash. Mm -hmm. You know, you're only using that for like maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes max and then you never see it again. But we don't think about where that trash goes.
1: Yeah. And the, the, the fact that I, how I started having this inspiration to use less plastic was because i was on an island in thailand and i was doing beach cleaning and i was volunteering at this recycling center uh-huh. and that recycling center wasn't beautiful or you know rosy and i got to see uh, the ugliness of human consumption i would yeah. say and that really hit me really hard and i was yeah. like wow like this is what really happened and we don't really see it we don't normally see it right. i actually went went to visit the landfill on uh-huh. the island so the island is beautiful right it's like paradise but i went to the landfill where the ugliness is right. and uh, it really hit me that's why i was like um, you know what i'm gonna do my part i'm mm. at least gonna be more aware of my consumption right. and uh, yeah start making some changes yeah
0: it's like it's it, that's that's a unfortunate thing about our culture is like it's it's like you don't see it it doesn't mm-hmm. happen to you you know like mm-hmm. this this whole like it, it just gets washed away and then we forget about it i mean And this is the reason why I think it's so important to just pay really close attention, mindfulness, right? Not even just over our trash consumption, but even down to what we eat. Mm -hmm. You know, like when people eat meat, for example, like more more often than not, they just, they see it in its prepared form. You can go to like a fast food restaurant, you can go to a restaurant, you're seeing it prepared. And you see it so much, it becomes a part of the culture that this is just something that you enjoy and you consume, but you forget that there's an animal behind this that gave its life for you mm-hmm. you know and being able to remember that and being able to pay respect and honoring the animal and appreciation over the fact that like this animal lived its life just so that you can live mm-hmm. I think remembering that is a really important thing because that allows you to be more humble and more mm-hmm. appreciative of uh, a lot of the things that we tend to kind of take for granted you know what I mean mm-hmm. yeah I love where the conversation was going about mindfulness. Mm-hmm. We're always about mindfulness on the podcast, and it's something that I, I can't stress enough about. I had been a vegetarian for a really, really long time, and this conversation that we've been having about mindfulness and paying attention reminds me of this time where I went to this, uh, this Tibetan store. And in Pasadena, they had this Tibetan store, and they had this like really, really amazing old lady that was from Tibet that would sell a lot of stuff that was from Tibet. And I remember I'd pass by her store all the time and we'd always like wave at each other. And uh, it was right before I went on the metro to go home. And uh, we had this sort of like really unique relationship, although we didn't know each other very well. But every now and again I'd go into the store and I would talk to her and say hi to her and I'd buy stuff. And I remember I went into the store one time and they had these mala beads at the counter, right? And the mala beads are basically prayer beads that Buddhists use when they're doing their their, uh, their mantras. Mm-hmm. And I saw this uh, this this mala bracelet, and I wanted to buy it. And so I asked her, I was like, you know, can you tell me a little bit more about this mala bracelet? And she says, yeah, it's made out of yak bone, okay. right? It's an animal um, that, uh, because Tibetans are a nomadic tribe, they use yaks as a way to sort of travel to and from, and yaks also help them transport a lot of their things. And right away, my sort of ego came in, and they're like, yak bone? I thought that Buddhists were... Vegetarian, like how does this happen? And she says, "Well, they are vegetarian, but they the yak still have them until they're very, very, very old, and then the yak dies. Mm-hmm. And when the yak dies, they consume the animal, and of course they pay respect to it, but they use the entire animal, even the bones. You know, so it's like, you know, that was really powerful for me because uh, there are a lot of people out there that are sort of radical vegetarians, and um, that's an entirely different thing, but. I always said that, like, if you're alone in the forest and you are are starving, whatever god there is, source I don't think would want you to die for your morals, you know. I think it's about being mindful about what you're consuming, like being Mm. really fully present and fully mindful of what type of impact you're making in the world. And that involves if you have to hunt for another animal, to pay respect to the animal and, like, give thanks to it and honor that animal, and, you know, even perform your own little ritual. Like, the animal's going to be a part of you. So I, I, I've gotten out of this sort of militant way of looking at things and looking at it more in sort of like a practical way, just being more present and being more mindful. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's what that kind of reminds me of. And just your whole journey with van life and uh, being on your own, being resourceful, trying to live in a more self-sustainable kind of way is... Um, really inspiring and I imagine that takes a lot of skill to kind of get used to doing that right yeah so I wanted to move over to the foreign travel because this is a different element of Mm. the sort of like nomadic lifestyle that I think people are really interested in but actually before I get into that before I get into this one more thing though Val what is some advice that you can give to anybody that wants to do the van life for a little bit
1: advice just do it
0: just do it (laughs) Oh, it's like a commercial, just do it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like I said, you know, like a lot of times when, when we start thinking, analyzing, like what if, what if, what if, and, you know, dreams don't happen yeah. when, when we're at that state. You know, when I feel like when something, I, I ask myself, if I don't do this, like, and if I am on my deathbed, will I regret that I didn't do this? Right. 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 So, what, it, what is the worst that could happen? Right? I asked myself that, so if the worst I could handle the worst, then why not doing it? Right. You know I think we usually equate unknown with bad things right. But what if unknown can be good things, right? And you mentioned a lot of people say, hey, you're so courageous, you're so brave, but you know I don't even not that I don't see that, but I feel like it's not what is pushing me forward, but what is pushing me forward is just the fact that I actually feel like it's more courageous. I won't say courageous. It takes even more guts to not do what you feel like you want to do. Yeah. You know, like yeah. if I knew that I want to, you know, live a van life, but I convinced myself to stay where I'm at, I feel like that takes even more of, yeah. For me, it would take more of me to stay right. than to, to do what I feel like I should be doing or what I want to do.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. It's, a, it's changed looking at it a different way. It's almost like what you're embarking on is more natural to the human being, Mm. right? It's almost like human beings have this propensity for adventure and to be out of their comfort zone. It seems like in a perfect world, that's what you should be doing, Mm. you know? Mm. Because it seems like human beings tend to operate in a more optimal way Mm. when they are being present and when they're being resourceful, right? Because there's no part of that experience where you're asleep, Mm. you know? So if you're not asleep, then you're very much awake. And if you're awake, then you're embodying every part of yourself is illuminated and always sort of thriving. And if that feels, if that that sort of sense of, le- of electricity that you feel makes you alive, that seems more real than what other people sort of succumb to by being mm-hmm. comfortable, mm-hmm. right? So it almost seems like maybe the people that, and this isn't to discredit anybody, this is just sort of like a pers- perspective because you can find happiness in anything. Right. And people can be comfortable being comfortable and that's totally fine. right? But it seems like because there are a lot more people that seem to struggle emotionally by being trapped in you know a job that they don't like, mm-hmm. or having to always try and figure out where their money's going to come from, or trying to you know be happy when they're not, like there's there so many struggles that come along with being comfortable, and there seems to be a little bit more um appreciation in the simplicity of just you know like being out of your comfort zone and adventuring life there seems to be something a little bit more human about that.
1: Mm, I, I really like the way you put it. I never thought about it this way, but it's really, really good way you put it. And I think, you know, it, yeah, like you said, there's nothing wrong with being comfortable. There's nothing wrong with having a nine to five, right? And even it doesn't matter what kind of life you live, even when you we're living our dream life, there's still going to be times when we're not happy. There's still going to be times when we're going to be doing things that we don't want to do. Right. There's still going to be times when we're worrying about when my money is going to come. Right. right so all of those things are the same like it doesn't matter who we are where we are how what kind of lifestyle we live but i think the most important thing is that if something is calling us if our heart is saying that hey i think it will be amazing to do this yeah it wouldn't it be wonderful like wouldn't it be like am i curious if, if, uh, if we're curious about that right, in, right. The, in a really positive way like i wonder what that's like and i feel like there's this uh, itch in me or there's this push in me that wants me to do it. Yeah. And I think that's a good sign. Yeah. You know. And we have to trust ourselves and we have to trust the world and trust ourselves that doesn't matter what happened, I will be fine.
0: Right. And it's like a big thing that you say trust. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people deal with self-worth, right? Self worth is almost a human being not trusting themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, the one thing that I, I imagine people can get a lot of benefit from, you know, doing what you do is that it's this practice of mindfulness. There are a lot of people that are being bombarded with the negative sort of self-talk that they have of themselves on a regular everyday basis. And from my experience, that happens when, a lot of the time when the energy is stagnant or we're not feeling like we're moving forward, but because of the life that you've sort of like embodied is so hands-on and it's so, it requires a different level of presence and connectivity that naturally takes you out of your mind and gets mm-hmm. you more into the moment, right? Like it, it gets you more, it, it, it's more of a participatory thing. Mm-hmm. Like there's, it, it's something that requires you to be fully engaged in the reality of what's happening. And that's the most realist thing that can happen, right? Because we can create all these ideas in our mind about how life should be, what we're struggling with emotionally, depression. All these different things happen when we're, more inside Mm -hmm. of our mind and not when we're more external Mm
1: -hmm. with
0: our mind you know so i think when you're out in nature when you're doing things that you're doing you almost have to it almost calls for you to be more external Mm. with life it's 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 engaged right Mm. you have to participate and when you're participating you don't have a whole lot of room to just sit there and and you know, like ruminate about negative things, you know what I mean? Like, so I imagine it has this way of teaching you how to be more engaged with life. Mm -hmm. And then by default, what ends up happening is that, you know, the chatter starts to go away Mm -hmm. and you're being more, you're applying your ego in a more healthy way Mm -hmm. in the moment, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. because Osho says that, you know, somebody that's living, in the past or the future is, is essentially... Well, But someone that's living in the past is essentially living in a graveyard mm-hmm. because it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And if you're only living in the past and you're only dreaming about a future that doesn't exist, you're essentially not living at all mm-hmm. because the only real, real, like, part that exists is this moment.
1: Mm. It's like
0: the only place where we have the ability to make any type of impact on life. Mm. But there's so many people that are living in the past and so many people that are living in these dreams of the future that they stop living life.
1: And not taking any action. And
0: not taking any action, yeah. right? And mm. you, you stop being a human being.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: everything about living in the present moment speaks to 100% being a human being. Mm. You know. So wanted to get into your foreign travel, And uh, this is an entirely different beast, I imagine. How many countries or how many, yeah, how many areas have you been to so far? I
1: haven't, I don't know how many countries. I haven't counted how many countries, but I just recently went to um, Africa, my first time in that continent. So I haven't been to Australia yet, but um, I've traveled a lot, but I would say that I'm not trying to like hit as many countries as possible, you know, Um, I kind of travel slow. Right. But yeah, I've been. I've been around.
0: <laughs> yeah, you've been to like Malaysia. You've been to Africa. You've been to Israel.
1: Israel, uh, Europe, everywhere, yeah. and uh, Asia. You know, a few countries in Asia. I travel a lot in America too. <laughs>
0: In, yeah, in America, but really interested in the foreign, the foreign travel. Mm. I go online and like YouTube and I'm always interested in the idea of going overseas to visit different places. Mm-hmm. So I like, uh, we'll watch YouTube videos of like travel, like people tra- that have travel blocks mm-hmm. where they're talking about like where you should go when you go to Vietnam, where mm-hmm. you should go when you go to Malaysia and things like that. And it, from what I've gathered from those videos is if you are not native to those areas, you could so easily be taken advantage of by the locals in these areas, Mm. right? So is that something that you go through? And then my example would be like in India, like Mm. when you drop down at the airport, you have these cabs or these people that want to transport you different places, but they're trying to charge you ridiculous amounts of money. Or, like, if you're, like, a tourist and you're in Egypt and you're trying to, like, ride a camel around the pyramids of Giza, like, they'll try and charge you ridiculous amounts of money. Is that something that you experience when you travel?
1: Definitely. And especially, you know, at, like, a very touristic place. Yeah. Like, a memory comes into mind. I was in Vietnam. Vietnam is very, when you talk about that kind of culture, Vietnam is quite strong that culture like tourist means money you know i actually got mad at a lady before like stop looking at me like an atm machine but anyway um i was uh, i remember one time i was in the mountain Uh, called Sapa in Uh in Vietnam. And I saw a lady, she was selling stuff, but I saw her, like it was a woman and I really wanted to talk to her. I wanted to connect with her. So I started saying, hi, how are you? And then immediately she's like, you want to buy this? You want to buy that? You want to buy this? I was like, no, but I just want to get to know her. That was impossible. I couldn't have a human connection with her. It was just about money and selling stuff. And I think at that time, uh, at that time, that's the... I immediately, actually two days after I decided to leave Vietnam and went to India to be with the Dalai Lama and kind of take on a different, not a tourist, uh, you know, I don't want to be a tourist, I want to be a student. I right. want to be, go, I want, because I'm a Buddhist, so I want to go back to my Buddhist uh, route and really yeah. learn the uh, deeper. In, yeah. yeah,
0: like the precepts and things
1: like that. Mm-hmm.
0: When you said go and be with the Dalai Lama, are you like teaching like a, like a student in one of his like ashrams or one of his
1: monasteries? I didn't plan so much. I really just yeah. booked a plane ticket and I yeah. went and I just knew I wanted to be around him. So as soon as I landed uh, in the town, I just started to talk to everybody. Like, I want yeah. to see the Dalai Lama. I want to see the Dalai Lama. I'm here because of him. So yeah. I got a place pretty close to his temple, like maybe 15 minute walk to his temple. And I actually went to his temple office, sat down in front of a monk and I asked, what can I do here? is there something I can do here so I can do something here? Yeah. He looked at me all weird, like, what do you mean you want to do something here? I was like, <laughs> I can sweep, I can teach, like, what can I do? He's like, oh, do you want to teach English? I was like, sure, I can teach English. So uh-huh. I started teaching English to some monks. Really? And then, you know, I and then every time I talked to them, I said, hey, I really love the Dalai Lama. He's my teacher and I really want to see him. And then, one, of course, when I was there, he was also had a few public Uh, teachings i was able to attend those but there was one time i was able to go to his residence um and and had a just a meet and greet with him it wasn't anything crazy i was like can i just like have a uh you know a private session with him but i wasn't there yet but i got to just go into a meet and greet with him so that was very very special
0: Oh wow, you got to hang out with the Dalai Lama. I didn't hang out with him.
1: I just say like, you know, I do we do the the greeting thing and he gave me that white how do you call that thing? The white scarf thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But that's like it's your own little darshan. There's not a lot of people that can just sit at the feet of Dalai Lama and have him do that. You know, that must have been like a really amazing feeling.
1: Yes, because that was that was always my you know my, my my ultimate dream is still Dalai Lama. Just teach me privately, like one on one. This is this is your teaching. This is a teaching I want to transfer to. That's always been my dream. Yeah. So I feel like I was closer, one step closer to my dream. I still want to go back. I, I have yeah. been wanting to go back and, and see him again and be around his energy again.
0: So when you were around, I, ima- I imagine, like, uh, some of his students there, right? Because mm-hmm. you were teaching English and stuff like that. Like, did they at, at any point, like, invite you to stay in their monasteries and things like that?
1: Uh, they invited me to, yeah, at one time I went to one of their, their rooms and yeah. uh, uh, he, was giving, he was taking food from the kitchen to feed me. I thought that was really funny. And uh, I had some, like you know really really fun moments and one yeah. time we we took the classroom outside of the temple and we went to a japanese restaurant for example oh. and then the <laughs> yeah. monk actually bought me dinner and we're still, oh, wow. we're still in touch we we're, oh, we're really? still friends on facebook oh, wow. <laughs> yeah yeah that is
0: so cool mm-hmm. that's, that's really cool you should have just uh became a monk and just <laughs> lived there for a few years studied the ways and yeah. then brought it down back down here to the states <laughs> it would have given you like a cool name
1: <laughs> i actually i actually have a buddhist name uh, oh, really? because i the i've been i've been a buddhist for more than 10 years now uh-huh. and uh i started learning when i was in la yeah. and i really actually went to it's almost like a bible study every every week we go and study um this this sutra called lamrim and oh, okay. and that's all we learned just that one book for the the rest of our life. And uh, that's how I got into Buddhism. And so I got into that school or that community first and then got to know the Dalai Lama and the teaching of Buddha and then I got more and more interested and more and more curious about about you know Buddhism. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's really beautiful. So, uh how different, because there's so many different types of Buddhism, right? Mm. And you said that there was a, a certain. What was the name of it again? The certain. Oh, Lamrim. Lamrim. How different is that to the Buddhism that maybe we're accustomed here?
1: Mm, so interesting. So Lamrim Rim is usually learned by only monks. But recently, you know, just maybe 10, 20 years ago, it started to um, be learned by, by normal people. Yeah. And uh, so Lamrim is like a, a system. It's almost like, you know, we have kindergarten, elementary school, all the way to PhD. Right, right. And Lamrim puts it in this, these steps. It's called steps. And uh, so you learn from kindergarten to elementary and you learn it step by step. So I yeah. think a lot of Buddhism we learn nowadays from you know from different places are all mm-hmm. fragments of um, all these steps, right? right? But then Lam Rim folk, uh, emphasizes on going through the step. You cannot go to PhD before you finish kindergarten, for example. Right. So that is very important the setting the foundation, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think it includes, I would say, almost ev- all the essential, like. Everything that Buddhism wants to teach is in that book, in a systematic way, how you learn it.
0: And you you guys are still going off of like the teachings of like the Buddha, like Gautama Siddhartha, that whole thing.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very, I would say it's very dry because it's very almost technical. It's, it's, It's very technical, very logical. That's why I love it, too, because I'm a very logical person. Yeah. And uh, so when I learned that book, it just makes sense. Like, yeah. it's just, you know, when you learn physics, it makes sense. Right. It's kind of like that.
0: Yeah. One thing that I always found interesting, and I don't know too much about it, I've only heard about it, is like when you go to those, like, regions where they have, like, Buddhist monks... There's this sort of practice that they have where you have two monks that are sitting side by side and they're debating one another. Oh yeah,
1: I saw that, when I was in the Dalai Lama's temple.
0: Yeah, and I was like wondering, like, how do you debate that? You like, know, what are they talking about?
1: It's so so. When I was in in that Buddhist community in LA, um, one time they actually put me in that school in in that class. It's yeah. actually a very advanced class. It's yeah. all about logic. And it's not easy to learn. Um, even me, I don't think I'm stupid. You know, I'm quite smart, but yeah. even me, it took a long time to to know to understand the logic. So the debate, it's all about um, uh, challenging your perception, challenging your opinion, right? Yeah. So you're more clear about what you think, right. and the, the the logical way of them um, structurally structuring the debate, it's it's very, it's very intelligent. Like it's very sophisticated. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they're just about challenging your opinion. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: that's that's so interesting that they do that. Mm-hmm. And do a lot of people, um, from your experience, when they're debating, do 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 a lot of these have people like have like valid arguments? Like, is there is there supposed to be like a winner? Is there some? Are, there, or are they just trying to interpret what Buddha is saying in his work?
1: I it's it's about challenge. It's like you know, if if you think uh, a certain uh, um, a concept. Yeah. So how well do you? Do you think you know? How well do you know that concept, yeah. right? So A lot of times we think we know something, but we don't really know it. Right. So until somebody challenges with questions, have you dealt about this? Have you thought about this? Yeah. Then we started thinking more about what we think. Right. I think that's the main point to yeah. like really trying to go deep, uh, you know, of what we think.
0: Yeah. yeah. It reminds me of like in Zen Buddhism, they have these things called koans.
1: Mm-hmm. And a koan is
0: basically like a story mm-hmm. that has like a, an, a, like a hidden spiritual significance to it that they almost seem like riddles. Like when you hear like a, a Zen koan at the surface, they usually kind of like encourage you, encourages you to provide an answer to a question. Mm. But usually the first answer is the wrong answer, mm. right? Because you are thinking with our rational mind. Mm. So what a koan is meant to do is it's meant to have you look at something a different way and look at something in a more spiritual way. There's like in, in these koan stories, there's a hidden spiritual lesson there that the ego tends to miss when it hears it. And so usually when someone hears a koan and they ask a question, they're like, oh, yeah, this is what this means. And they're like, no, that's not what it means. There's something else in there.
1: So that's actually a, an answer to those koans?
0: Yeah, well, there's, there's, there's an answer, but it's like a spiritual answer. Mm-hmm. A story that I can give as an example is that there's this, uh, there's this student that wants to learn martial arts, right? And he goes to his teacher. He's like, how long is it going to take me to learn how to do martial arts? And he's like, uh, about 10 years. And so the student says, well, what if I practice every single day? What if I speed up this process somehow? Then how long will it take me? And he says, 20 20 years. years. <laughs> Dude, you probably heard that no, one, right? No, I'm just, I'm just but, assuming, yeah. Right, it's like that, right? Because from the logical perspective, somebody maybe with a more sort of Western approach to things would say like, well, if he's practicing all the time, then he could learn it faster, mm. But the teacher added 10 more years on to that. Mm. It's this whole story of how the mind gets in the way of a mm. simple process, mm. right? There's a whole, there's a, a process that it's involved in learning something. And our ego and our mind can make that process last longer than it needs to, right? So that's that's a koan, where it's like there's a different way that you need to see that, because some people will hear that and be like, well, why would it take 10 more years? Mm. He's He's offering to, Spend more time doing it. It's mm-hmm. like no, this this teacher knows what he's doing, mm-hmm. and he knows that if your mind gets involved mm. too much, it's going to be harder to teach you. Right. And so that's that's kind of like the other story of it, right. you know, of a Zen koan. So that's just that's what comes up for me when you're talking about like these these Buddhists sharing stories. Maybe there's some of that going on, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. But that's cool. That's a really 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 cool thing that you shared. I didn't know that about you, Val. <laughs> you got to hang out with the Dalai Lama. So. I wanted to ask you about, so you have a, a partner, right? And, and your partner is also a digital nomad, somebody mm-hmm. that travels. And somebody that also is from a completely different place in the world. Mm-hmm. How easy or how hard is it to be in a relationship with somebody that's kind of like on the same path that you are?
1: It's, it's amazing, you know, like, yeah. I mean, I would say, of course, it's easy, then there's hard, there's difficult parts as well. Yeah. But to have somebody who understands or who sees the same, like who, who, who knows what, who, who enjoys the same lifestyle, yeah. who leads the same lifestyle, that is definitely a lot easier than, you know, being with a partner who doesn't understand. Yeah. Um, and because we both love traveling, so we share something that we both love yeah. and yeah, I think that's a, that's a, it's that's a big thing.
0: So I'm just wondering because you guys are traveling, you guys spend a lot of time apart, right?
1: Yes. We, yeah, we spend a lot of time together when we're traveling and yeah. we also spend a lot of time apart. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and I can imagine that the idea of that would be like a really challenging thing for some people. Cause there are some people that just, they want to be with their partners all the time right? I mean, that's sort of like the conventional way that we see relationships down here, which mm-hmm. is like you you date somebody, you end up being a part of your life, they move in with you, you see them every single day. The whole dynamic with traveling, uh, being a traveling couple um, that are, you know, on two different kind of paths that are joined together, I imagine is very scary for some people. So I imagine that involves like a different level of trust. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that I've observed just in talking to you about it is that not even just the trust there, but there seems to be less possession and more like appreciation, mm. right? You're not looking for this person to sort of fill a void in your life. You're looking to spend time with somebody that wants to enjoy life or does enjoy life in the same way that you do, even if that involves going in two different directions for a while. Mm. Right? I
1: would say, you know, at the beginning, I, I, I also have that like attachment right and like yeah. I have this I don't know if you some people know that anxious attachment and avoidant attachment oh, yeah. dynamic right so yeah. I'm all more on the anxious side as well ah. so when I'm by myself I'm great but when I when I'm in a relationship I'm like oh wait I want to be with my partner so that part still comes out yeah. and at the beginning of the relationship that's something that we actually worked on as well like we had you know we we, we really look at those, those anxiety that I have every time we have to say goodbye to each other, for example. So really uh, using those as, as opportunity to learn yeah. and opportunity to grow and now i would say it gets easier and easier but still you know when we say bye to each other it's still like oh and also because a lot of times we don't even know when we're going to see each other or we don't know exactly when so that part of me still uh still comes out a little bit but but yeah it's less and less but i would say like um now i appreciate my alone time even more because that's when i get to really own myself i get to like you know You be with my friends, it's just my on my own, and I think it uh, keeps my sense of power as well. I think not not consciously, but in the relationship when I with my partner all the time, it's not that I my I my power is um, like you know like I have less power, but there's just a certain like type of like how do I say that I am just more powerful when I'm by myself. So I I get to remind myself of my empower my my own power when I'm by myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it, it it when I when you're talking about this, it just seems like a, a completely different frame of mind that you're coming from, mm. right? You're like you're you're somebody that's on a mission, mm. right? Like this this uh, this feeling of radical independence. Like relationships mean a lot to you for sure, mm. but there's almost like something else that you're getting out of life that mm. allows you to just be radically independent on your own and be okay with that. And that to me, I, I guess that kind of speaks to courage because there's a lot of people that even have trouble with just being alone, mm. right? So, it, f- for me, it just it's really inspiring because it speaks to somebody that knows themselves, somebody that's like, in that is a, has a, a a good relationship with themselves. You're self-aware over what you believe and what you feel, and so when you're alone like you are completely comfortable and, and happy with just being yourself and the relationship doesn't have to define you, mm. you know? Like the relationship is something that adds, adds to your life in a beautiful mm-hmm. way, but you're not using it as a crutch mm. to try and fill some sort of like void in your life, you mm. know? So I, I, I imagine you'd have to have that type of mentality in order to be okay being away from your partner for that long, mm. you know? So mm-hmm. it just, to me it just speaks to like a really courageous person you have to be a really strong person like mm. inside and out in order to be able to like experience something like that and i i think you know we would all strive to be on that that sort of same path you know Like you, you trust yourself and you believe in yourself. And that's like a really, really beautiful thing. Most of the
1: time. (laughs) Yeah, most of the time. You don't know how many times I ask my boyfriend, is everything going to be okay? Especially with my art project. (laughs) I'm like, is everything going to be okay? He's like, yes, everything will be okay. Everything will be okay. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, I might be seen as a very independent person. I'm self-reliant and everything. But truth is, I I, I always want to make this shirt says, powered by people like i am like yeah. my whole life is supported by people like i'm right. now i'm staying with you at your place you know yeah. and uh, every well, everything i do like, i need support from people yeah. right and uh, i think we forgot about that interdependence between human being right and in in the in the city in a normal society like people are people are so independent right yeah. uh we want to do everything by ourselves and right. uh you know, and we are capable of doing everything by ourselves. So I feel like um, my travel the past few years. Sometimes life put me in situation where I have to ask people for help, oh, or yeah. I have to, you know. But now I don't even see as I have to. I, I want to share something with you. And uh, yesterday when I was uh, I just arrived in LA, and yeah. I was in the shuttle from LAX to Union Station, and um, I, I almost cried because. Uh, it, First of all, I had this homecoming feeling, yeah. and second of all, because my friend Jessica, she texted right. me, she's like, "Where I, I, I'm coming to pick you up," uh, yeah. you know. And then you texting me, "Hey, you're welcome to stay at my house anytime you want. My house is always open for you." Yeah. And at that at that moment when I was in the bus, I had this like uh, aha moment, you know. Yeah. When when I think about abundance, right, I think about oh, then it's when I can, I get to five fly first class I yeah. get to stay in a five star hotel right I get right. to have my own private chauffeur driving me everywhere that's sometimes that's what I think that's abundance but yesterday what I realized is what I have is abundance I have friends who say hey I'll come pick you up wherever you are I have friends who say hey come to my house anytime you want a place to stay and that to me is abundance Yeah, you know I really felt like I was the richest person in the world yeah. and when I think that I started like I almost cried yeah <laughs> yeah
0: it's a really, really beautiful that you share that. That's actually a really, really powerful observation too because it's true, mm. you know, like love does, love can get you a really, really far in life because that's like the, that one human emotion that we all relate to. Mm. Like no matter who it is that you are or where it is that you're from, if you have the ability to love, and the other person has the ability to love. Like, beautiful things happen. Like, love is this, like, ever-expanding energy that provides to you, mm. right? Like, human beings, like, when we feel loved, we want to do loving things. And uh, the one thing that I've, I've always known about you, you've always been a loving person. And when you're a loving person, then it's no surprise that people want to do loving things for you. And it's not like you're doing it as a, a you know, it's it's not this way of, like, deliberately being loving so that you can get something. Like it's a part of who you are, you know, that that loving aspect in you is a part of who you are. And I do believe that if you're loving, more often than not, you're going to have people that believe in you, that want to help you, you know. And and the other side of that is it it feels good to help somebody that is loving, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like that sort of like nurtures that spark of hope that you feel like when you... Mm-hmm go to somewhere like Lightning in a Bottle or Burning Man.
1: Mm. Like
0: you want to keep nurturing that and cultivating that because you know that good things happen from that, Mm. you know? So that's what I always tell the people. It's like if you want to manifest abundance through through even, let's just say if you want to manifest abundance monetarily, Mm. people think of like money as this living, breathing thing that has its own life of its own. It's like, no, and and, and there are people that are going after money as if it's a real person. (laughs) If you want to manifest money, you have to start believing and collaborating with people Mm -hmm. because who moderates money? Human beings moderate money. So I think, and I, I tell this a lot, like on the podcast about like where I am in my life. I know that, you know, my, my, my primary goal in every scenario is to just always try and be a good person and always try and be loving. And I know, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, with like pure confidence that where I'm at right now happened Because I chose to be loving, Mm -hmm. right? And you know that treaded into every aspect of my life. When it came to my job, when it came to like when I go into job interviews, like I wasn't thinking about okay, how do I get this job from this person? I sat down with this person, and I was like, this is a human being, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter if I'm sitting here in a job interview. Like you're still a human being, and I'm still going to address you and talk to you like you're a human being. Mm -hmm. And I, 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 I hope that the reason why I got that job is because they could relate to the fact that I was a human being that wasn't mm-hmm. driven by money, that wasn't driven by success. I was just driven by human connection. Mm-hmm. And I think if, from my experience, that's been the the, the the biggest currency that I've ever had in my life, which is human connection. You know, so I, I completely relate to what you're talking about. Yeah. It's like manifesting abundance... With, through people. And yeah. when you're traveling, you have to rely on that in a lot of ways. It's like you're, you're traveling, and I imagine you're meeting so many different types of people mm-hmm. that are on similar journeys. And you help them, they help you, and it becomes this collaborative experience, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really beautiful. I wanted to ask you, how often was, is it that you would run into people that were doing the exact same thing that you were doing?
1: Digital nomading? Yeah. I am around them all, a lot. A lot, actually. Um, Yeah, I would say I'm in the community, you know. I was uh, just right before I came back to the States. I was in Germany and before that I was in Budapest. And I was able to meet up with my digital nomad friends in Budapest. Yeah. So um, the... So just you know, it's like, uh, even though I'm traveling a lot, but I have a, not a base, but a place I always go back to every time I'm tired (laughs) of traveling, which is an island, Koh Phangan in Thailand. So that island has a lot of nomads, has a lot of expats and, you know, hippies. And so I get to meet a lot of people from all over the world and also digital nomads. So when we travel, we get to meet each other in other parts of the world. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So you just you start to become like a part of like this community mm-hmm, of
1: people, mm-hmm. and
0: when you say meet somebody in Budapest or meet somebody in Thailand, and and do you ever get into situations where you kind of just make an agreement to travel together for a while? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. We, I did. I, I did a trip in Mexico yeah. with a with a digital nomad friend that I met in Thailand, and it yeah. was great. Yeah. Wow.
0: What are some of the businesses that these people have?
1: It, uh, business or jobs, you know, yeah. some people have businesses, uh, actually a lot of people just have jobs, oh, jobs so they that are able to work remotely.
0: Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. do they ever find just jobs locally to where they're at for a while and like.
1: Mm, then that. that probably, they shouldn't call themselves digital nomads. <laughs> yeah. But just like but foreigners traveling. Yeah, you know, um, like definitely there are people who go out to other countries and get local jobs, you know. Yeah. But I think um, digital nomads do that less because then they kind of tie down to one place. Yeah. And as a nomad, you we want to be free, right? We want to be location independent, they yeah. call it. Yeah.
0: Do you ever, and I know I know that you said that like when you, there's a, there's certain periods of time where you kind of get tired of traveling and mm-hmm. then you go to your island. hmm but how often do you, you know, do you, do you ever like miss that feeling of having like a state like your own like place, home. like your own like place that you call home?
1: Yeah, I, I think just recently, maybe the past year or two, um, but that it's very fleeting though. I'm like, oh, it would be so nice if I just have my own cocoon, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, you know, as I move on with my life and that kind of just goes away, I, I just know that when that time comes, it will come. Yeah. yeah yeah
0: yeah is it is it like this sort of biological like oh i need to settle down with a partner and start a family kind of vibe
1: not really like not like oh i have to have babies and settle down <laughs> not like that right. but i know like maybe at one point i will want to be more settled as a like you know i have a base i come to and it's actually my home maybe i have multiple base bases okay. multiple homes that i go from you know go to from mm-hmm. time to time yeah, yeah maybe that sort of lifestyle but you know like as I say, I'm, I don't plan. I just kind of move yeah. where life wants to take me. Yeah. So when that time comes, then then you know then I'll do it. Yeah. yeah.
0: That's that's really really beautiful. So what advice can you give to somebody that wants to be just a digital nomad, traveling the country or traveling the world, like into foreign countries and the foreign lands?
1: Advice? I don't. It, it, it depends on. I think it's case by case, right? Like case by case. If somebody has, if if somebody. You know, you know, has a job already, definitely. If you're already working from home, working remotely, and you feel like, hey, I, you know, you really want to see the world, please go ahead and do it (laughs) what are you waiting for yeah Uh, yeah, that's one thing there's another thing some people think oh but i how am i gonna make money you know i I have to quit my job so maybe there's more consideration you know maybe some people want to have some savings uh, put aside and and everybody kind of operates differently some people are more security driven so they want a lot of money saved in bank account and some people are more uh, less security driven so they don't mind not having a big savings and just go for it and see where they land right so i'm kind not like that kind that type of people so it really depends but i would say like same thing what we say talk about the van life if there is a calling in you there's something that just like speaks from your heart like i really want to do this then go do it like you can do it you know if you don't know how to do it you'll figure it out like that's always the case we have come here so far in our life always figuring out what to do so it's gonna be like that
0: Yeah. yeah it almost seems like that that's the most challenging thing to do is just to take that one step forward
1: yeah, it's right. just just move one step forward. That's yeah. all you have to think about, right? Cuz like, it's, yeah. it's just like
0: you're having to wrap your brain around what it is that you feel like you're losing by doing that. Mm. Or like what you're risking by doing that. Like and that's kind of probably speaks to like your mind's gets louder and louder and louder the second you start venturing outside of your comfort zone cuz your mind says don't do that. That's going to be too risky. That's going to be too dangerous. And then the second you take that one step, you realize that it's just a decision, mm, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's just a choice that you make.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and it's funny that one when, when we follow that path, when we feel like, hey, my heart is asking me to do this, so... Yeah. And once we take the first step and the second step, and then it's almost like the universe is conspiring to help you with the next step. Like a lot of times I, I don't really decide what to do. It's almost no. like the universe is saying, you need to do this now. Or no. when I say, hey, maybe I don't do this, maybe I, I back out. And then the universe like sends somebody to help me to move to the next step. Like right. it's happened again and again and again. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, it's like you have this trust. You have mm-hmm. this trust that the universe is gonna take care of you. And this is really good advice, even for someone that, that isn't gonna do the digital nomad. Like just this idea. Idea of taking risks and trusting mm-hmm. yourself. Like if you're somebody that's in a career that you're unhappy with and you want to go and, you know, start a, a business, mm. you know, doing something, selling something, doing do business and healing or whatever it happens to be, like just taking that step forward and just trusting the fact that like the universe will take care of you along that path and you'll learn. I mean, you'll have highs and you'll have lows, but you'll figure it out. Mm. You'll figure it out. If it's mm-hmm. something that you are passionate about, I feel like the passion will drive you further and further into that place. And we just have to overcome that fear, right? That fear is like the biggest thing.
1: It will probably always going to be there, right? Yeah. But it's about like knowing there's a fear there and still take the next step. Yeah. Because it costs too much to not take that step. Right. It costs too much. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I remember um, watching this documentary a while back of, uh, and I think there was like a study that was also conducted where they, they interviewed like 70 people. I don't remember the exact number of people, but they were all elderly people that were at the end of their lives, and they were asking them questions about, like, you know, what are some things that you regret, you know, from when you, uh, through, throughout your life? And they said the one thing that I regret was not taking chances mm. and, you know, not, not being more adventurous, mm. you know, not having enough courage to step outside of my comfort zone. Mm. And when you're young, that's, it, it doesn't seem as significant to you, but when you're older and you're thinking back, over your life and you're realizing that all these sort of things that like bound you to just being comfortable yeah all those different things like were just ideas that you followed and believed in and that the real only true currency in life was just you know adventure and like taking risks and like and and having enough courage to like go after the things that call out to you you know because
1: yeah life is too short you know, yeah. like in Buddhism, it teaches impermanence, right? Like, really, yeah. don't know when I'm gonna die. Like, yeah. I really don't know. So, when we have a dream and we say, "Oh, one day I'll do it," like maybe two years from now, maybe five years from now, yeah. you know, that's I don't know if I'm gonna live that long. So, yeah. if I want to do something, I better do it now.
0: You better do it now. Yeah. Do it now. <laughs> I love that. This is such an amazing, amazing conversation, Val. It's really, really beautiful to have you coming in and sharing your journey with us. I'm sure there's so much, so much to share. Um, is there a way that the people that are listening can get a hold of you if they wanted to follow you on Instagram?
1: Yeah, my Instagram is valerie.flow, F-L-O-W, Valerie is spelled (laughs) V-A-L-E-R-I-E. Yeah.
0: And then F-L-O-W, which is basically what we've
1: been talking about this entire time.
0: It's just the art of flow. Mm -hmm. It just happens to be in your last name. How ironic is that? (laughs) You're just flowing through life and your last name happens to be (laughs) flow? You are living the teaching. You're embodying, embodying a life that all of us, at some point, the hope is that we'll develop enough courage to go down that path. And I feel like a lot of people are. A lot of people we are starting to develop a lot more courage and they're starting to take life into their own hands. And you're saying, you know mm-hmm. what? Life is short. We've yeah. got to live it the best that we can. Yes, we can do it. We can do it. Yeah, thank, you, thank you so much for coming on to the show and speaking thank with you our for audience. Having it's me. been really amazing and really beautiful to speak yes. with you. I'm so happy that we were able to share space after this much time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, at some point, maybe we can have you back on and we can kind of go over how your Burning Man experience was <laughs> and how your art installation. If you guys are at Burning Man, check out our art installation. It's going to be cool. It's called Cosmic Entanglement. Yes. Right? Yes. I, I want to be entangled in some cosmic, <laughs> cosmicness. <laughs> Thank you, Valerie. Thank you, Eric. Thank you guys for tuning in to Divine Nobody's podcast been a wonderful wonderful journey to take with an old friend If you guys are new to the podcast feel free to like and subscribe if you're on uh youtube because you this is where you can find the the video aspect of the show if you guys are listening through spotify or apple podcast if you click into the details you can find the link to our youtube you can see me a uh, video of me and valerie um speaking with each other and then um If you guys are on Apple Podcasts, please please feel free to leave a a review. Let us know how we're doing. If you have any uh, recommendations on podcasts, let us know. We'll try and make that happen for you. If you guys are on social media, we can be found on Instagram where we post some of these videos. We'll share some clips in the days and the weeks ahead. Uh, Until next time, friends, namaste and stay safe and cool out there.